situation we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think. Hi and welcome to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network. It's 20th of August, 2017. I'm Neil Bradley, my co-host in the studio, Joe Quinn. Hi there. And in our other studio, Alan Martin. Hello, everyone. And Harrison Keeley. Hello. Okay, there's a lot to get through this week. A lot has happened um, in the US and Europe. Further afield, of course, stuff's happening everywhere, but it's certainly kicking off in the U.S. with last week's Charlottesville event. In some ways, a nothing burger. In other ways, yeah, it was a marker, and things have kicked up a notch in the so-called race war in the U.S. of A. Of course, not to be left out, stuff's kicking off in Europe, too, with yet another terror attack, this time in Barcelona, Spain. We'll be discussing that also. But I think our main focus this week will be on Charlottesville and the fallout from the protest slash counter-protest held in the university town of Charlottesville, Virginia, last Saturday. Not least, among other items in this fallout, Steve Bannon is gone. No longer the White House. Trump is... Apparently, the last man standing, the last Trump supporter in the White House, it would seem. So, amid the hysteria, well, our our take on this has just been to basically try and put things into context because hysteria is the flavor and the, the, the name of the game from the media since this event, of course. So, yeah, as Joe wrote, you know, don't take the bait. But uh, we both wrote like, a few days after. It's one thing. It's one thing to write and warn people not to take the bait, but of course, lots of people took the bait immediately because that's what these events will do to you. Yeah, but it's an ongoing. Uh, it's an ongoing situation. So bait is being offered pretty much all the time um, to people. You know, uh, it's not this this one incident in Char- Charlottesville was uh, sure it was a. A shocker and an <clears throat> hit people in the emotions and kind of give the whole thing extra legs. But um, certainly this this bait that we're talking about of of picking a side and choosing one side over another um, has been ongoing um, since well before Trump got elected. But it's really his candidacy for the presidency last year and and then winning it that seems to have really um, brought this issue out of the kind of doldrums <clears throat> where it was, where it has been languishing for uh, for quite a while, uh, for decades, for, you know, many decades, essentially. It's not like it's a new issue, right, uh, of, of uh, white nationalist or white nationalism or the mm-hmm. KKK. I mean, that's been in the U.S. for, for, for quite for a long time, you know, and mm-hmm. there has never been... Uh, the issue or such an issue 
made of it. Uh, I don't think anyone until today, to, to such an extent. And it seems to have been uh, the 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 cause of or the the source of it being made into an issue seems to have been Donald Trump being elected president, um, and people have just lost the plot. I mean, it's just it's very hard to put your finger on it, you know, in, in terms of because you look back and you try to see a logical progression and why this happened, and, and you see these uh, large leftist demonstrations and the way that people are extremely uh, angry and violent. Very often at these demonstrations, you think, well, these people must have a serious issue, right? They've got a real serious grievance. So then you try and find out what that grievance is. Uh, and you look to what they say themselves as a source of a grievance. And it doesn't really make any sense. Um, except that if you allow for the idea that these people have just, they want to have something to get angry about. You know, it's not that it's something that's come upon them, but they've actually, they're actively looking for something to make a big issue of and get out in the streets and protest and, you know, share all sorts of extremist slogans and attack, attack policemen and attack opposition groups and stuff. They, they're, they want to do it. They, these people, there's something driving these people to, to, to act in this way. And it's not just uh, a kind of logical or reasonable cause that you can identify. At least I can't identify it especially in the context of the issue that they say is the issue, having been around for so long. And as, as far as I'm aware, not really having gotten so much more serious over the past year. Mm-hmm. Or is it, did, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, did it, did, it, did it rise up over, say, the past 10 years? Did it, did it reach a peak? Like it just happened to coincide with uh, the presidential elections last year and it was all there just waiting to explode type of thing. And Donald, Donald Trump was the was the the spark that made all of us all of this pent up anger justified righteous anger come, come, come pouring out is that the case well i think it might be a little bit of both um because I, i'd have to do more research into this one aspect because i've heard conflicting views on it one being that um kind of membership in groups like the kkk is at like an all-time low and the other being that um that such groups are rising. Now, it may be the case that maybe there are more like white nationalist groups, um, you know, not necessarily affiliated with KKK or even going as far as kind of white supremacy. There may be more membership in those. And so that may have been growing over the past 10 years. Um, but, you know, th- th- that would be a matter for, you know, statisticians to, to actually come up with the numbers. But if that's the case, then it's kind of a, um, it would be like a minor trend that is then has been picked up by the media and then exploded into actually more than it than it actually is. So you know there may be, there may be an increasing trend in things of that sort, but that I think that the the main reason that it's such a big thing in the media has been just the media focused on it, so that it appears even bigger than it actually is. Um, that's you know that would be my guess at this moment. You know, just based on the kind of clues here and there that I've seen, but you know, like I said, it's it's hard to say for sure because um, you know uh, I haven't uh, I haven't seen like the hard data on it to to back any of that up. Mm. So you're saying it's a nothing burger? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a mini a mini something burger that is you know that's been blown up into turned into to the a, big you know, Yeah. So because the the 
like you said, the, the KKK, for example, it's been a, it's, well, we watched a documentary recently uh, with Daryl Davis, the, the black musician that goes around and, and uh, the friends, well, talks to KKK members and ends up befriending some of them. And a lot of them end up leaving the, the KKK. And the way he put it, the KKK is as, as American as apple pie and, you know, a few other things. And he just says, you just got to accept that it's, 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 you know, an American tradition. It's part of America as, as horrible and, you know, um, you know, off putting as it is and as it can be to, you know, people who aren't in the KKK, it's part of American history. Um, and that's just, well, and that's true. So for, since, you know, the end of the civil war, a KKK has been around and, um, the but the thing that has made it such a big issue has been the has been well the the reaction to Donald Trump because a lot of kind of um the the white nationalist or white supremacist movements have have you know given some vocal support to Donald Trump it has been a tar baby you know to tie Trump to because these guys like him then you know therefore he must like them and he must have their agenda and so it's just like the the Trump Russia connection that's been manufactured in the media, you know, when that one doesn't seem to work, they now they they fall back on the Trump white supremacist um, connection, which isn't really there, you know, at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it makes for good news because it's you know it's salacious and controversial and it gets people's attention because even um, well, what's more, you know, well the KKK is a scary thing to not only to minority groups but also to other white people who don't agree with them and so it, it's like it's the perfect um foil yeah perfect foil it's a and and perfect propaganda because i mean like like we're seeing now what 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 is the worst thing the like the worst group, group of people presumably it's nazis and so when you have white supremacists and a lot of these white supremacists are are neo-nazis and fascists, uh, and then you just you lump all of these people together, and that's um, it's the perfect you know media demon that to to terrify people and to and to demonize people by association. So, right. So is it is it too uh, too much to ask people to just? I mean, what else is going on here? Though? Because is it too much to ask people to think rationally about it? I mean, are these people in the an ideology that they see what they want to see, basically, and there's because I mean, there's no hard evidence right. at all, and no reason to assume that Donald Trump is has a kind of white nationalist KKK uh, agenda, mm-hmm. right? Or the people around him. I mean, it's as far as I, it seems to me that everything he said basically was it's going to be business as usual in America, or uh, certainly in terms of doing what uh, the U.S. government is always has always been about in theory, which is, you know, protecting its interests, doing what's right for the American people, trying to make money, waging the odd war, that kind of thing. So uh, where is this idea that someone, I mean, it's almost, I mean, we're, we're supposed to believe that, you know, the KKK, under Donald Trump, there's going to be hordes of white nationalists who are going to suddenly spring up from somewhere in America and, and like, throw all... The what through all the minorities and the black Americans or whatever into jail, or put them into slaves, make slaves of them again or something, or discriminate against everyone. I mean, is that what we're meant to believe? I mean, well, it it seems as though uh, Trump's whole position on the 
wall in Mexico and and uh, and keeping um, immigration on the straight and narrow uh, was the kind of uh, flashpoint or um, reason uh, for for jumping all over him on this issue, or at least one of them. Uh, we know that uh, Barack Obama had originally put some of this legislation. Uh, through in enforcing um, immigration from Mexico and various places, but it was never implemented. Uh, and now that Trump speaks about implementing it, uh, he's you know he's become the villain. Uh, he's become the white nationalist, racist, and um, and so it's been. Uh, but the other component is that you know, as has been written in some of the articles, people just find a natural hate for the man. So uh, whatever practical policies he's, he's wanted to implement uh, for the country uh, will be automatically and emotionally taken as um, in their worst light uh, or motivated by the, the worst reasons. Um, so I think that that plays a, a, a part in this as well. Well, the, I, I kind of see it as a, as a really good, example or demonstration of just how hard politics is. And by that, I mean, when you're in the opposition in politics, or when you're in politics, there are very limited positions that you can take. And there's almost this, um, there's an extreme amount of pressure to conform to um, what are the kind of mainstream ideas. And it's kind of like taken to the nth degree compared to just, you know, uh, you know, a situation with your peers, with the people around you, that that kind of social conformity about, uh, you know, having to um, adapt what you say and your opinions to the group um, just in order to get by. And it seems to be kind of um, taken to another level when you in politics. And this ties back to something that uh, Michael Springman talked about in our interview with him last week um, when it comes to the, the migrant, migrant crisis and um, this idea of weapons of mass migration, so kind of weaponized migrant um, strategies um, used by NGOs and the CIA and groups like that. And this is the the idea of hypocrisy costs. So one of the reasons that um, these migration crises have worked, uh, you know, now and in the past, because, you know, he gave, um, you know, he quoted the, the Greenhill, I think, Kelly Greenhill's book, and she gave like examples of something like 60, 63 or something um, similar migrant crises. And one of the techniques, and she actually, you know, she's got a name for it, is these hypocrisy costs. So this is when a country has made, um, you know, overtures to and statements about their support for human rights and um, and just the idea, you know, the, the typical Western values. And when that's the case, it makes it very easy to, to, um, to use, to kind of blackmail um, a country with, with, migration because they are then forced to put forced to be put in the position of basically not being able to say anything bad about it because they will be called racists. So it, it's like you've got this very fine line that you can walk and, ver- and, and very few things that you can say. And if you even just go a little bit off of the path of the accepted official language, then you'll just get hammered. And I think this is, that's just, this is just one example of, um, a dynamic that we see over and over again with Trump, for example, where a lot of people, uh, a lot of Trump critics who, you know, maybe would would be Trump supporters in other contexts, won't can't get behind him or can't, you know, even see 
anything positive in what he's doing simply because he won't go, you know, the full, uh, the full world savior where, um, oh, you know, he's not doing this and he's not doing that and he's not draining the swamp and he's not firing everyone and he's not, you know, shattering the CIA to a thousand pieces and, and, uh, you know, there's, there's this list of, you know, a thousand things that he could do to, to make everyone happy. When realistically, if you look at that, there's very few things that that a person in his position can, or anyone you know, anyone in his in his position can do, without um, immediately, you know, breaking one tiny rule, even in a, a fairly um, inconsequential way, or maybe not inconsequential, but a very minor way, that that then you know unleashes the you know the media beast on him or on whoever is in that position. So with this with this whole racism thing, it's you know he makes he makes some statements about immigration and has some policies on immigration that in other countries you know the, the, those policies are fairly benign compared to immigration in, in some other countries, but we never hear about those countries, and and it's pretty much like just like Bill Clinton made similar statements you know twenty years ago, this he he hasn't really said anything that's too far outside of the. Um, you know what is even uh, U.S. existing U.S. law, but there's there's just this kind of groupthink and um, like a uh, an echo chamber that is built up over the years. Where if you just you know you can't you can't step outside that bubble, and the second you do, it's like the 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 forces of of um, you know that kind of social milieu will just go after you with knives. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, so on the one hand, it's very complex. On the other, it's just it's just interesting to watch because um, because really he hasn't done anything like too controversial. If you think how far you know he could go, and this is what people are afraid of, like calling him the next Hitler. If he were to to, to really go into Hitler mode, you know, I don't know what people would do. They'd probably completely lose their minds because he's not even close. Well, just just on that one point. Uh, um, okay, he, go ahead. I was just going to say. Yeah, we have a- just, we have a call here. Okay. Did we want to take that first? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, it's, it's, no, it's Steve. Steve. Oops, Steve Oops, online. Steven online. Yeah. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, I've got an echo. Yeah, I've got an echo though. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm 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 on a hotspot connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, my take is um, I agree with what you're saying. Very little Trump can actually do. Um. He's being hyper demonized through the uh, official media. Um, I believe he wants the best for the country, but there's very little he can do. Um, I think also that there's manipulation by the government on the part of the left and the right to keep everybody divided and kind of stupid. And um, so I uh, can you guys still hear me? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I just want to make a comment. I, I made a comment on a woman's post. Um, I think that she's she's kind of on the liberal uh, pro Black Lives Matter. I just made the comment that I'm against uh, reparations, and um, I was unfriended. I, I I didn't say it in a mean way. I just made a comment. I'm against reparations. I don't see how reparations geared only to um, people with indigenous blood and African-Americans, I don't think it's fair to white people that were also damaged by the institution of slavery or enslaved or indentured. I was, I was unfriended. Um, No debate. 
I was not being mean. I just made a comment. I'm unfriended. I think that is indicative of where we're at, where people don't even want to listen to somebody that might have a different view than they have. Um, there's no, there's no discussion to, to edify and to deepen our understanding or to develop communication among one another. It's just like, it's just pretty wild that we have the internet, we have Facebook, we have all of the means to develop politically outside of the two parties. And it seems like that goal is, um, that's so more impossible than ever that we can develop an alternative politics. It's just, it's really weird. Very well said, Stephen. Well um, we're going to let you go because we can hear ourselves. Okay. We'll reply to you. We'll fly here. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, it's a very yeah, good point. Yeah, it's a very good point. I'm still hearing myself. Mm-hmm. Stephen? Go ahead. Okay, we're in the clear now. Um, isn't it amazing with all this tech and means of communication that we become more and more isolated? It's like we're slaves to our beliefs. You know, uh, how do we break out of that? Then the the amazing means at our disposal doesn't make a difference. So it's something else, something deeper. Well, so, well, when people are <clears throat> when people are um, communicating and getting their idea of other people, getting an impression of other people, um, and getting an impression of the world via a computer screen rather than actually directly themselves then it's much easier to um, to fall into black. That's one of the problems with the internet, I think, is that it's much easier to fall into black and white thinking, basically, to to form a very subjective view of the world that is totally divorced from um, the actual world itself. You can sit there, you can uh, access the world, quote-unquote, in theory, uh, through your computer screen, collect all of the data as if you were out there collecting it all, and then form a picture and then pronounce your make your pronouncement on what that... You know, make a pronouncement on something that's something about the world. The world is this way. The world is that way, without ever having spoken or or looked or seen any person or anything except your computer computer screen. When you're when you have to go out and directly interact with people, listen to people, look at the world, and see things, it tends to encourage, in my experience anyway, a much more nuanced view of things that does not uh, encourage or or um, select for, let's say, uh, uh, a black and white view because it's by definition nuanced and, and people people understand that and get that. But that's one of the problems I think with uh, with the internet. You know, it's given <laughs> internet has given rise to things like the uh, flat Earth theory and the actors theory at false flags. So that seems to be uh, what it does. Well. People have been bombarded with the perception that um, that Trump, in in not immediately coming out and um, castigating the the Nazi uh, element in the Charlottesville uh, protests, was somehow pro Nazi, uh, when all he really said was that there were people responsible for this uh, this violence and the rioting on both sides. Uh, so, you know. It, they're they're being led to think only one way about this whole event, and um, and of course, you know, like you were saying earlier, Joe, this is a, an appeal to the emotions. You're not uh, you're not really permitted to 
think about this in any um, in any context uh, or with or with any facts that would lead to anything other than this uh, this perception that it's all Trump's fault. Uh, he supports the Nazis and um, and that the Antifa and, and leftist groups that uh, that were in their face about their protest uh, are worthy of any kind of criticism on, on their end. That's not allowed. That was largely left outside of the whole uh, discussion. Um, so people are getting, you know, the Internet and social media is kind of a reflection of 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 this uh, mass media propaganda in large part. And they're just repeating what they're being told to think in, in many instances, it seems. Hmm. Yeah. What I found, uh, what I found a bit ironic and, uh, a bit, bit, bit pathetic really is, is these people, uh, on the left who are carrying their signs, you know, and making, having this chant, this chant that they have, uh, no racist or no Trump, no KKK, no fascist USA. It's quite a catchy tune, actually, but um, it's it's, it's um, the problem is that they say no fascist USA, but I mean, I just look up the definition of fascism, and it's pretty clear that America is fascist today and has been for quite a long time, right? Uh, so. Because, I mean, fascism is pretty much the, uh, a kind of authoritarian kind of uh, state where the we defining, defining uh, aspect of it is, is the merger of corporations and, uh, and government, where they're kind of more or less one and the same. Would anybody disagree that that's pretty much the way it is in America today? That, uh, that you, can't get a, you can't get a sheet of paper between um, corporations and government. I mean, you look at the lobbying, uh, the lobbyists who basically come you know, corporation representatives, corporations come to come to Washington or um, to where the congressmen and politicians are kind of holding court, and they come and they make their plea, and then congressmen do deals with them for their corporations, and it's all that. That's how they run the country. That's how the country is run. You know, and not not to mention all of the kind of kickbacks, basically, and and the the complete lack of separation between major multinational or major corporations within the U.S. and the government in terms of uh, the money that's transferred between them uh, and the massive subsidies that are given from government to corporations to keep them afloat, etc. I mean, America is <clears throat> quite clearly, by that classic definition of fascism, a fascist country and has been for a long time. So what's the, do these people not know that? They, are, they have a different definition of fascism, right? Which is... Uh, um, well, it's it's, it's well, it's it's white. It's, it's a it's a white dictatorship or something like that. Where all no, anybody who's not it's, white is it's, it's what what they share, um, at least as a premise, is that it's a regime under which oppression is more or less explicitly okay. It's it's the state oppresses people. Everyone can agree on that whatever they agree with as to whether or not we are in one such a state or whether it's because fascism comes from the right or from the left. But everyone agrees with that basic premise where there's tyranny and oppression and you feel the weight of it. I mean, it's a harsh regime to live under. Okay, but then the, the only distinction I see as to what, what side one takes on whether or not we're already in one or heading to one or whatever is the question of who is crying oppression 
Mm. You see, this is this is what it comes up over and over again, and not just in the U.S. This takes place everywhere. Um, what, take note whenever it comes to criticizing foreign governments, the U.S. and other Western governments always have the same key words in their rhetoric. Such and such a country is authoritarian. They're a bit too oriental, which means it's synonymous in their language with being despotic, repressive, um, et cetera, et cetera. Well, who, who's repressed in, in, in what sense? I think at some kind of unconscious level and semi-conscious because they identify with the oppressed in the other countries. When it comes to bashing Russia, for example, and they, just, they use these pejoratives, so Russia is very nationalist, tending towards fascist, oppressive, authoritarian, Putin, etc., etc. They're identifying with their like-minded types, the, the minority in Russia, mm. who agree with them and say, yes, Putin oppresses us. Mm. He aggresses us with his, you know, bearing his chest and mm. <laughs> and his, uh, his, his evil laws. Mm. Um, but when they objectively aren't, you know, they're actually quite fair and designed to be as inclusive as is possible and keep a big stick in the background because real leaders understand what happens when things get out of control. You need to have control, at least the threat of it, mm. to keep things that way. Mm. So when you have the minorities like the lefties and the SJWs screaming about oppression and the threat of a fascist dictator, from their perspective, they're right. And they agree with the same premise. We we're, we're feeling oppressed, and they are in their minds. They actually really are. They're, they're under a fascist. They would agree with your, what you just said. You, we live in a fascist country. Yeah, Trump's in charge, and this the police state, and uh, and they're oppressing my right uh, to be whatever I want to be. You know, to have uh, pronouns written into the law that that suit me, etc. Well, etc. <clears throat> that's going to do with fascism, though. Well, it, it's this. It's they're using the wrong word. Mm-hmm. Fascism is well, a catch They twi- mm-hmm. they 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 invert the meaning of every word. Mm. Everything. How do you have a conversation? With you don't. Like that? You can't actually. You have to read between the lines of what they're saying and sort of invert it, or which sort of uh, unwrap it to to get to what they're really saying. It's almost like the old joke. You have to play the record backwards mm. to actually hear the music and the lyrics That's that are being said. Not when you hear the devil. And that's basically <laughs> what's yeah behind them, actually, I think. <clears throat> so record record what a social justice warrior is saying to you, then play it backwards. And you'll and, hear Satan. And you'll either hear Satan or it'll make some sense, one or the other. Mm-hmm. Well, it'll make that's, sense that's a in bet. a satanic kind of way. Yeah. And it'll make you go, oh my God, I don't want to have anything to do with these people. Stay away from them. What, do they, call that, what do they call that back in the day? Backtracking or something? Or not backtracking. Mm-hmm. Used to play play records, yeah. play LPs backwards, and say, "Did you hear that? That said, Satan is Lord." Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was an '80s thing, maybe. Yeah, I think it was very popular back then. Anyway, yeah. um, Black Sabbath. Yeah, back masking. That's there you go. Thanks. Uh, mm. um, uh, <clears throat> um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. <sighs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you just touched on something there. I mean, they, uh, the criticism of Russia—it gets back to the point I was saying. You know, quite often one of the criticisms you hear about from the US about Russia have heard repeatedly is, uh, especially over the past few years, when Russia fell out of favor, or, or you know, 
dropped drastically out of favor was um is that you know they keep referred to russian state-owned uh, organizations right like uh, well mm. obviously the media right state-owned rt huh? it's just a crown of mouth mouth mouthpiece you know um but also state-owned oil companies <laughs> you know geez i mean well how, how bad can it get you know the state owns the oil company that's just freaking calm what is that commie i don't know it's something bad anyway here in america we have free enterprise right we have private companies doing their thing for the good of whoever and it's all great which is completely not bs obviously because uh collectively they function as a government <laughs> but they function together with the government look at raytheon for example or any of the other defense contractors northrop grumman or something like that uh those companies would be out of business tomorrow if the government stopped giving them taxpayers' money, i.e. funding them to produce weapons for wars that they agree together to have with with the government. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there is no difference. The board members of Raytheon may as well and effectively are members of Congress. They discuss with Congress, the board members or the directors of, 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 of uh, Raytheon discuss with Congress about when we're going to have a war and how we're going to uh, you know which weapons we need to buy, and how and when you're going to give us the money. It's, it's no different whatsoever. Hence the deep state. There are states that just won't acknowledge their state. Right. That's why when you're listening to CNN, you're actually listening to state propaganda. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just that issue with calling it. Uh, you know, these people f- fascism. You know, it's um, it doesn't make any sense. America is a fascist country. Uh, has been for a long time, like we've been saying. And um, so yeah. But, you know, their issue, obviously, with fascism is that for them, fascism is Nazism. And Nazism is white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to live in a country where white supremacists and white supremacy and white privilege and the patriarchy is oppressing minorities. And you have a large number of white people who, for some reason, have identified strongly with minorities, people of other, uh, you know, of other ethnicities, whatever, but who are American, let's say. This is their idea. Their problem is that they, we're all Americans, and there can't be any division between uh, racial division, or you know, gets into you know gender division, all that kind of stuff. There can be no divisions. We're all Americans, and everybody should be treated equal, uh, and there should be no discrimination whatsoever. And the chances for discrimination to increase in America is much greater now because of Donald Trump, because of his sexist and racist comments. That's what they're afraid about, and that's what they're protesting on the streets about. Unfortunately, if they were to look at the situation uh, in, in a rational way, they would realize that nothing really has changed. Not only nothing really has changed under Donald Trump, there is no, there is going, there is not going to be a massive kind of uptick in discrimination or oppression, whatever the way America has been, as um, the way America is today, has nothing to do with Donald Trump. It was created over the past 40 or 50 or 60 years. And these children are, are these people that are protesting the streets are, are simply the inheritors of it. It's got nothing to do with Donald Trump. And the other thing is that their ideas of no discrimination and no oppression is completely nonsensical. I mean, you cannot have an, a, a, that kind of a utopia. That utopia does not exist, and you cannot impose it. If it's possible to impose it, may, or if, it's, if it's possible to have it, then it has to be negotiated. Mm-hmm. You know, these people don't take stock of where human beings are, the level of uh, the evolutionary level that human beings are at, and how close we are, or how close human beings are, in one sense, to monkeys. Or to like to barbarians, basically to to animals. Effectively, there's an animal nature in human beings, and it's very dangerous. And uh, and we're caught between those two. You know, the the the, the desire or the potential for human beings to progress to some kind of utopian, uh, you know, standard of living or, or or society, 
and where his the, mind the, rules, where he's rational. Right, and the pullback to that was the, the promise to, of the Enlightenment. Right, and the pullback to the kind of instinctive, kind of more more barbaric kind of way of life. And human beings are still caught in that trap. And to try and force the issue, one way the one way or the other, to try and force them to to evolve effectively before people are ready or able for it, or even whether it's good for them or not, whether it be good for human society to actually evolve to some kind of utopia. Because uh, I posted an article on Facebook last week, and it was from one of the mainstream websites, whatever, or some website, and it was basically a question discussing the, or an article discussing the idea of whether or not if you could, if science or whatever could provide you with the opportunity to, opportunity or the ability to erase your bad memories, memories of bad experience in your life, would you do it? And everybody who responded said no, because through those experiences, those people learned, and people as a general rule do, obviously, it's a, it's a mm-hmm. maxim, that through negative experiences or difficult experiences or painful experiences, you learn a lot about yourself and about the world and everything else. So in that context, that becomes a good thing. Negative experiences become a good thing. And yet... And yet they want to remove them. Millions of people out there are actively seeking to remove those memories. Not remove those mm-hmm. memories. Well, technically remove those memories in, in terms of the statues and all that kind of stuff. Yes, that's an argument for keeping those statues. As in, this is what it was, you know, and people who don't like those statues are thinking, and I think the majority of people... Well, think. The thing about the statues is that they weren't anything really at all. They're not anything. They're freaking statues. They're dead people. Some of them aren't even of, of specific people at all. They're just generic images of soldiers or whatever, you know. It's ridiculous to, to, to think tearing those statues down is going to do anything at all except piss people off and create social conflict. It's not going to do anything positive for anybody by tearing them down, except in the moment, you know. Mm-hmm. In the same way as stuffing a you know, a sugar cream filled donut down your face isn't going to do you any good, <laughs> except in the moment. <laughs> so it's just a it's, it's just a temporary pleasure for these people, and it's 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 ridiculous. You know, these people need to be stopped. They're like they're like children who just want to act up basically, and they need to be stopped. But yeah. anyway, and uh, it's, so yeah, and and it's a it's an indicator of kind of the level of social hysteria going on. I'll come back to this documentary that we watched, um, Accidental Courtesy, with you know Daryl Davis, and so he, uh, you know, interviews and befriends members of the KKK, and it's got various clips of him talking to various ex-KKK and current KKK members. And one of the things he says really early in the in the documentary is that, well, first of all, he's got um, about two dozen KKK uh, robes, like full sets from from friends of his who have left the KKK and given him their robes when they did so. And he's also got tons of memorabilia, like paintings and pamphlets and documents and, you know, stickers, all patches, all kinds of stuff. And he says that he plans on one day on opening a museum with all this stuff. And he says that, um, that, his, that this is history. Like I said earlier, you know, the KKK is as American as American pie and, or as apple pie. And he says, you, you don't destroy history, you don't burn it, um, you keep it and you, and you, uh, you use it to, to remember, you know, to, to remember where you came from and what the past was. And it's interesting, to, it's, well, it's, it's really even moving to see this guy um, 
throughout all these experiences of his and, and how, how level-headed he manages to stay. Um, because not only has he made friends, not only has he gotten people out of the KKK, not through any like wish of his own, just by talking to them and becoming friends with them. Um, he has this kind of, um, this understanding of history and of, and even just an understanding of historical, um, um, objects like statues or, you know, clothing or documents where, um, and well, what am I trying to say? By the end of the documentary, there's a, he goes to, uh, I think he's in the Capitol, he's in DC and he is at the stat at the foot of a statue of one of the Confederate generals, the guy, I think, what was his name? Pepper Booker. Booker, well, he, he was the guy that uh, allegedly started the KKK, and so there's this statue of him. And he said, personally, he'd prefer it if if all the Confederate statues were moved to this one area, you know, um, and and not scattered all about, because this guy that he was looking at was, you know, uh, as he called him, a murderer, a racist, and an overall, like, bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but even then, so you can see where he's coming from. And you can even compare some of his views to, to the views of the people that want these statues taken down because they are controversial to, you know, a segment of the population, maybe 20 to 30 percent based on, um, you know, some of the polls that have come out recently who, who would prefer to see these these statues removed. Now, the thing is, is that so you have to kind of acknowledge that there is a segment of the population that is, you know, deeply offended, but at the same time, under, like still have a, an understanding of and respect for history in the sense that it doesn't do anyone any good to to destroy these things, to vandalize them, to and like that. I mean, really, there is no no real difference between that and you know burning a library or you know ISIS destroying historical artifacts in Syria and Iraq. It's you know put them in a museum or you know find a place where where people can agree to 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 put these things well but you'll never get an agreement because these people just want them destroyed right get rid of them um but one other aspect of this daryl davis that really struck me is his his focus on um he does take this middle ground and it's very reasonable like he's like no you've got to talk to your to your enemies as extreme as they are mm-hmm. you have to listen to them and he says i've heard some some things that cut me to the bone but i listen to them I, I listened to what they had to say, and even if at the very beginning they weren't interested in his opinion because they saw him as basically a subhuman, eventually after talking to them and after realizing that they could talk to him, they started asking him what he thought. And that, that said, he said for, that, for him, that was the moment where he realized that he was having a difference. And then they started asking him what he thought, and eventually they, he, he became friends with, uh, with these people. And you can see how, you know, nowadays they're friends. Some of them are even still in the KKK, but... Um, but they're, you know, they're, they're just, they're not, well, the the one guy that he's talking to that's still in the KKK, they've been friends for years. You can tell he's not anymore like a crazy person. He said, so Daryl asked him, okay, well, so what's the red line? So, you know, where will, where would we, you know, really come to loggerheads? And the KKK guy just says, you know, no uh, mixed marriages, you know, we want to keep the races, you know, pure, separate. And that was it. You know, he could be best friends with a with a black guy. He could go out with him, um, you know, for drinks and and talk and and just and be total friends and have nothing against this guy. But that's that was his red line, and that was it. Other than that, you know, they could get along fine. And when Daryl eventually talked to some Black Lives Matter Black Lives Matter activists in Baltimore, 
they were just horrified at what Daryl was doing. Um, and they, he, they asked him, well, how many, how many um, robes do you have? And he says, oh, about 26. Well, how long have you been doing this? Well, since about 1990. Oh, so that's all? You've only got 26 robes out, you know, for all those years of doing what you're doing? Imagine what you could have been doing if you were here with us, you know, working with, with uh, you know, the real issues and trying to do real change. And he's like, well, you know, I am doing something. And they're like, well, no, no, you're not. Um, you know, that's nothing. And, and so, so Daryl says, well, so are you saying that people can't change? And he's like, white supremacists can't change. It's like, oh, really? It's like, yeah, they can't change. So why even bother? And, uh, and these guys walk out on the interview, refuse to shake his hand. And, um, and he's just kind of sit there, he sits there kind of like stunned. And then afterwards he says, yeah, I've, enc- I've encountered a few people like that. Um, and he, he pointed out the, the similarity he says that the people that the KKK hate the most are the white people that they see as traitors to the cause. And they'll be fine with a black person compared to, to that guy. And he says it's the same thing with the Black Lives Matter guys, is that they, 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 they hate him more than they hate just some random white guy because they see him as a traitor to the cause. Mm. And so it's, it's just this example of this, um, this extreme polarization that happens and where people get lock, locked in their ideological bubble where they – um, and, and they, in, in essence, kind of self-segregate with the, you know, the people that agree with them and, and the people on the outside that they've identified as, as enemies. I mean, you know, those people are the enemies. And what do you do with enemies? Well, you fight them. And, and that's it. You don't talk to them. And, you know, Daryl Davis is really right. He's like, no, no, that's the total wrong thing you do. You have to talk to these people. You have to give everyone a platform and then engage in a dialogue with them, some kind of agreement. Because otherwise, you're just going to be at each other's throats all the time. And this comes down to, I think what the, one of the kind of root problems in this whole polarization that we've seen, that we see going on. And that's what, what you were talking about earlier guys is uh, this, um, the kind of whole fascist issue. And um, there was, there was a, a, like a free speech rally or anti free speech rally. I couldn't tell in uh, what was it? What was it um, in Baltimore or Boston? yesterday or the day before uh-huh. and um and you see some of the so there's this one guy with uh with a sign that says f nazis f antifa so he was against both of the groups and of course he was just getting it from from these from both sides or from you know all these other kind of left-wing antifa um people and you listen to some of the comments that the that the antifa type people were shooting out is it one was that that trump made a moral equivalency between antifa and and nazis and another was uh, you know, he'd said something about Antifa engaging in fascist tactics, and one guy just laughed him off and said, "You have no idea, no idea what you're talking about. We're fighting Nazis." And th- this is the kind of supreme irony of history and of our the current time that we're living in. That um, you know, Trump was basically right because there is a moral equivalency between Nazis and Antifa, in my opinion, in my judgment, because. The problem is not with Nazism per se, and that's the whole, um, I, I'd say the big moral or the big lesson of, of the book Political Ponderology is that you can't focus just on the ideology because it is the pathology within the ideology that turns it into something evil mm-hmm. and that really defines that evil. So you have all these people who are anti-fascist who, for them, their moral compass is that Nazis are evil and anything that isn't Nazi and fights Nazis is therefore good. And if that means that we, you know, if, if a person looking from the outside 
at us sees no difference between the way we act and the way Nazis act, well, that, that doesn't matter because we're fighting Nazis. Uh, it doesn't matter if we act like Nazis because Nazis are the bad thing. There's this disconnect, this inability to, to detect, um, you know, any actual substance. It's all surface stuff. Mm-hmm. So that it's just Nazis are bad. And they can't see that they're that they that they're a pathological movement and there are pathological elements within that if they were in power, you know, if they got, you know, if some of these activists got in positions of power, they'd be dictators. Mm-hmm. They worship a jealous God. Yeah, yeah well, there's, yeah. A, there's a girl, I can't remember her name. She was punched by someone or hit with a stick or something at Berkeley last year, or earlier this year, uh, I think. And she got a bit famous because of that because she was on, on video and went viral or something. But uh, she made the comment that uh, she's full on Antifa, you know, and militant marches and attacking the right and all that kind of stuff. And she she made the comment that uh, you have to use violence to stop. Um, you have to use violence to stop violence. Basically, is mm-hmm. more or less what she was saying. So the, these people are violent, and non you know nonviolent protests aren't going to work. So you have to be violent to stop violence. <coughs> Well, one of the Which biggest takeaways, <laughs> so like um, Daryl Davis, uh, he basically cut through the cognitive dissonance uh, that that was existing in the minds of these KKK people who had all of these uh, preconceived notions about uh about was based on blacks. fear. Yeah, it was based the, on point f- is, the point he made is that when it, what it comes primarily down to is a fear. And on top of that are like the ideas that come along with it. But the root thing is the fear. They fear what they don't know. They fear what they don't know. And you get the sense that uh, given uh, the sick upside down culture that, that uh, has been existing in the, in the U S um, that uh, among white uh, extremists and Antifa uh, people, there, there is a, there is an economic class um, cultural op- oppression of a kind that they can't put their finger on. Uh, and so they're being directed to um, kind of uh, react and respond to things that are these phantom issues. Exactly. Um, and and so it, it's like it's like they're just uh, pawns in further distracting uh, the people from what the real issues are, which, which is a which is a, a kind of a deep state culture of of war. Uh, that's covered up and, and camouflaged with a veneer of um, of progressivism and and inclusiveness, and uh, we're better than Russia, and um, and they don't. It, it's like a it's like a, a really maniacal, clever, uh, almost brilliant way of of getting people's energy into all the wrong directions. Mm. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, on CNN this week, I watched uh, a debate post uh, on Anderson Cooper's show. So he has on two black uh, commentators, pro and anti-Trump. And one of them was Cornell West, mm-hmm. well-known lefty activist. I think he's prescribed, self-described as philosopher, former academic. Anyway, the debate descends into the usual you know, shouting match uh, with Cornell West attacking his opponent, I forget his name now, by screaming at him, why you got to defend this liar, man? Like, 
that's not an argument. Anyway, so it just but before it descends into that, I, I thought the opening of it was interesting. At the beginning, you see Anderson Cooper hold his nose and his tongue as Cornell West opens the discussion by lamenting, and I'm pretty much quoting verbatim here, the decay of the American empire due to its corrupt elites and nationwide spiritual decay. Before, of course, tacking on, and now we got an evil president to deal with on top of all of that. So the, the above rhetoric is 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 true for everyone, for substantially everyone in the United States, left or right. Mm -hmm. But someone like Cooper Anderson, he would never acknowledge it. He and his bosses are only allowing this rhetoric on the air because it's useful to have West lend his moral weight to the overarching quote-unquote deep state mission of turning people against Trump and thus away from actually doing anything about arresting said spiritual decay due to corrupt elites. Right. Everyone knows what the problem is, but, but it's diverted. But, but they can't do anything about it because those corrupt elites are actually hidden. They're unelected. They're kind of career politicians. They're bureaucrats who've been there forever. And like we said on previous shows, the idea, their, their approach, uh, whatever you, <clears throat> however you want to describe the, <clears throat> the deep state, like intel agencies or whoever these shadowy figures, let's say, who, who you know, probably ha obviously have faces and, and you, might, you might see some of them here and there, but it's hard to identify exactly who they are. But let's say they're in intel agencies in some corporations or, uh, or in politics for a long time. And they have uh, their attitude. You could, it's, you know, it's understandable in a certain sense. Is that they've been more or less running the country. You know, every every administration that comes along, um, well, that's just that's just a new group of people who've come in, and they they're there for essentially for the show of of, of democracy. And and the president is uh, meant to be, and most of them have been, just. Um, symbolic heads of state kind of thing with, with no real power and they're not meant to do anything and, you know they're called the commander-in-chief but they're or, or bush the decider-in-chief but they're not really meant to do anything they're meant to go along with the program that has been well established for for many decades so um the idea for the, for them having someone come in some maybe even like a one-term president uh, like trump might be uh, to come in and what shake the whole thing up and change things change the order of of play basically and radically change how the country is run and even kick those people out of out of their positions is just like obviously you're going to get kickback from from that if you attempt to do that and that's what uh, what Trump has been doing and the things that they're attacking him on uh, are pretty indicative of that initially Russia this ridiculous uh, kind of Russia hacked our election and Russia and Trump having a, a relationship is just complete nonsense but obviously they uh, that points to Russia being a serious issue for these people. And then focusing uh, on the just the, the, the more recent uh, uh, race wars, effectively, or white supremacy threat, etc., is just another way to attack and hamstring Trump by uh, you know associating him, going for the the easy, the low hanging fruit, effectively, because it's an easy shot at, at Trump to kind of demonize him for, by association with these uh, with, with with white supremacy, quote unquote. Um, so yeah, these people are. Are the problem as, as Neil was just saying, you know, and they have always been the problem. But the people have no way. To, anybody who senses a problem in American society, like the moral kind of decay in America, etc., um, they don't have anybody 
uh, any public faces or anybody to attack or anybody that they can actually uh, mm-hmm. demand the removal of as the source of this problem because it's all done effectively in secret. And that's the big conspiracy theory, right? Quote, unquote, again. So, um, but what they yeah, do I'm, have now is someone they can get behind and they don't. They right. Attack right, the crap the, out of him. Right. <laughs> because I was, there's a, I was looking at a list. I, was, I meant to draw up a list. Actually. I was looking at a few things of, of, of what Trump has campaigned on. Not just what he campaigned on before before coming president, but what he has said since then as well. And the most recent one, and it's indicative of the kind of things that he seems to be trying to do or wanting to do, and he seems to be genuine in his in his campaign pledges to kind of like improve the lot of the American people, bring jobs back to America. He was talking about that just recently about you know he, he can solve this this uh, debate or this this problem with uh, the left and the right by bringing more jobs. If everybody has better jobs and more income and stuff, then all those problems will go away. That's a bit foolhardy, given that a lot of it's manipulated and people are being put up to this or people are being deliberately hystericized. But uh, one, of the, one of the things that he said recently, uh, there was some, the head of Merck or something, one of the big pharmaceuticals, uh, who had been on some board within government. So he had kind of left Merck to kind of do a stint in, in, on some... Uh, committee uh, within governments was working on that and Trump, he either left or Trump booted him out or something, uh, but he went back to the CEO of Merck and he, Trump mentioned this and said, that guy, whatever his name is, he said, yeah, now he can get back to sorting out the problem with ridiculously high-priced drugs for ordinary Americans. <laughs> and not a word is said about that in the media, you know? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. good point, Mr. President. Why are drugs so expensive for ordinary Americans? Why are they ridiculous? These little white pills that cost basically fractions of a cent to make, uh, or even a bottle of them, a few cents to make. Why are they, you know, forty, fifty, sixty dollars? Why are they being? Why are they being priced out of the market for the average American? Or why is the average American being priced out of that market where they can't get those drugs? Uh, but the media don't care about that you know that's one one thing that would make america great again you know as in quote that's a quote obviously but make uh, make life better for the average american you know um but all of that is drowned out and where is trump there is he on the left or the right when he says that well that's the question but uh-huh. the, but that that whole phony division is ridiculous to distract attention away from uh those kind of things that trump actually wants to do uh which is Identify the serious and egregious kind of uh, kind of rigging of the game in America economically. He wants to try and do something about that, and these people in the deep state who make a lot of money from that, and also keep people contained in a certain sense by keeping them, you know, living from paycheck to paycheck. They don't want him to do that, and that's why they attack him. And of course, they want to drown out any attempts he makes to, to, to bring this to public attention by bringing up white supremacy and having people hate him. And of course, he didn't help things himself, you know what I mean, Trump? So there's nah, there's some blame on his side. But if you look at the substance rather than just the appearance, you know, uh, there's far more reason for everybody in America to be supporting Trump. Because like we were saying before, these issues that they're blaming on Trump were not created by Trump. Mm-hmm. You know, white the patriarchy, if if it exists, was not created by Trump. He doesn't uphold it. You know, uh, racism in America or police brutality against blacks in America was not created by Trump. It's not being furthered by Trump. 
So who who's who's to, who's to blame for that? It's just the whole thing is just ridiculous. You know, all you have to do is just think two steps down the line and suddenly realize that it's all a load of nonsense. But apparently, there's millions of quote unquote lefty people in America, kind of do-gooders, ide- ideologues, and idealists uh, who don't do that simple or don't engage in that simple thinking process. And that's what shocks me the most. I don't expect people to be kind of like of PhDs in, in economics or political theory or philosophy or whatever. It's it's just simple thought process. Anybody can look around, you know. Uh, you can go to one of these rallies and listen to what these the Antifa people are shouting about. You know, extreme endemic racism in America. You know, oppression of minorities, blah, blah. And then if you live in America, go back home and look around you and try and find that. Find the thing that they're screaming about as if it's pandemic and you won't find it. Certainly you won't find any difference today when they're shouting about it from a year ago before Trump was, in, was there or two years ago or four years ago or five years ago. It was exactly the same. Nothing has changed. But it's all being blamed on Trump. It's, it's just this ridiculous scapegoat kind of situation and that people can't even see that is just mind-boggling. To me, anyway. But then I probably should lower my standards. That's why Western societies are organized that way. To have someone who's a figurehead to take the blame is like a release valve. I mean, Trump's an extreme example of it. But even someone that they, on the on the for the most part, praise, like Obama. It, they'll mm-hmm. criticize him up one way and down the other. There are some things he's blamed for, for which is not his fault here. They can, the, the crash happened before he took office. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. A classic example, one of the last things, he made a deal with the Russians in Syria. And somebody just went behind his back and blew up. I think they hit, uh, that was when they, they, they deliberately hit. Monitoring convoy, um, UN convoy. UN convoy, and just before that, they deliberately hit the Syrian state forces right. for the first time. Yeah, they sabotaged that. Dude. That was a deep state. That was deep. Yeah. That's not Obama's fault, you know. But he will be left holding the can one way or the other. And he, he will have learned that well eight years in. Of course, where they're weak, and Obama deserves to be criticized um, completely, is in not in any way acknowledging that to anyone. He goes he goes with the party program despite the treatment he gets from these deep state types. Uh, whereas Trump at least keeps reminding people that uh, such such a, a state of affairs exists, you know? And that that's 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 what we've always said, that that's where he's useful. You know, he is, as long as he's there and as long as they have feel they have to grind him into either premature death or impeachment or whatever, however this plays out, just simply neuter, neutering him for the rest of the administration. Well, that's what Steve Bannon said recently. Uh, <clears throat> after he left the, <clears throat> left the team in the White House, he, he basically said this, uh, this presidency is over. And what he, what he said was the presidency that we fought for and won, i.e., you know, the Make America Great Again, Drain the Swamp presidency, that's over. And he said, there's still some things that can be done uh, in the Trump presidency. 
um, and he's going to fight for them, blah, 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 blah. And he, now that he's gained some insight into what goes on in Washington, he's going back to Breitbart and he's going to be like, you know, maybe, uh, you know, or so he thinks, taking aim at some people or whatever. But uh, as far as he's concerned, the, the promise of, a, of, of draining the swamp and making America great again is pretty much uh, gone. So, um, yeah. Well, we'll have to just wait and see what happens. There's obviously, there's going to be many more uh, events and twists and turns that will uh, come in, in in this whole situation in the, in the course that the US and the world in general is taking and probably lots of things that will come out of left field. But um, we'll have to wait and see where that goes but it ain't looking good pretty much when you've got such an easily hystericized uh, and significant section of the of the population who can be used in this way to really you know work against their own interests and the interests of everybody it's pretty pretty bad you know um but of course you know talking about the whole world in general uh the terrorists the terror threat that keeps ticking over in the background hasn't gone away, uh, mm. and we continue to have. Well, it's weird that a week after Charlottesville became an issue because a guy drove his car into protesters, mm. the same thing happens, but it's in a different narrative setting, in a different country, of course. Any connection? Absolutely, it was the white supremacists in Barcelona. <laughs> the white supremacist Muslims. Um, yeah, I mean, that event is just one more in the, uh, and now the, the growing list of, of similar events. It seems that at some point, uh, someone hit on the idea that using a car to run people down was, uh, the best way to go, uh, the easiest option. But this, this particular event is again, quite, uh, quite strange. I mean, it's hard to know whether... Um, it was a genuine kind of a radicalized young Muslim operation, but um, there's very various different aspects to it and, and details in it which are which are just confusing and don't really make for a plausible or certainly not a, a simple simple narrative. Um, mm-hmm. Several of the most of the guys involved were. Um, Moroccans? Well, Moroccans, but, yeah, from North Africa, but they were also um, very young. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're talking 18, 17, yeah, 20, actually 17, 17, 17 years old was the youngest. Um, and he supposedly was the one who was driving the car. Uh, he was the brother of the guy who turned himself in, just north of Barcelona when he saw, uh, because... So there's two brothers at least. Say they say there was twelve people involved, but five and five of those twelve were were killed after the event by by police, um, and possibly the youngest one, seventeen, was uh, was is is still on the run. <laughs> but a seventeen year old kid, really, it's it it kind of beggars belief in a certain sense that uh, someone like that could could be eluding. Uh, police after such an event um 
and, and simply be acting on his own, you know. Um, but anyway, he's the younger brother of the guy who he, he supposedly stole his older brother's passport or his older brother's ID to uh, get the van or his, anyway, his, his ID was found, his older brother's ID was found in the van or beside the van uh, on the Rambles in, in, in Barcelona. And when they saw that they put up the older brother's picture, because that was his ID, he turned himself in and it turned out it was his younger. That's the narrative anyway now is the younger brother was the one driving the van. There might have been an accomplice in the van. They don't know. So there's all, all sorts of talk about accomplices and, you know, not knowing if there's more and whether or not we've got them all or not got them all. But at least one of them was on the run, may have walked across the border into France. Um, so it's, it's strange that two days beforehand you had this explosion uh, mm -hmm. about about uh, two hours south of Barcelona, two hours drive south of Barcelona, an explosion at a house where it just more or less blew the house up. And I remember what, so I remember seeing the report and it was suspected gas explosion and the house blew it up. But now they're saying that that was a cell of the jihadis who were mixing up some bomb making materials. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, for, for me, that, that, that aspect of the story actually gives it some uh, pseudo kind of credibility. Um, it could just be part of a narrative, but the reason I say that is because in several of these attacks over the last 16 years, like um, I'm thinking of 7-7 and even the Manchester one, um, especially in 7-7, like the, the narrative for the bomb making was that these guys or one of them or several of them had, you know, included and, and produced this kind of high-grade explosive but in none of the reports and none of the inquiries was there any information about where they had actually made the the explosives, because apparently when when um, you know for explosive makers, especially for newbies, you have to do some tests. Like you have to know how to put put it together. And you and you if you're if you're going to pl be planning a, a bomb attack, you've got to do a test explosion. And actually, you know, try to figure out if your bomb is going to be a dud or not. And in none of these cases do we hear anything about tests, about um, you know, about bomb making sites where they actually work on these things and and figure it out. It's it's just left out of the narrative completely, because um, presumably you'd have some accidents or you'd have some test explosions. And this was even the case. There's in the 90s there was a um, uh, an Al Qaeda case in the Philippines about of this guy that you know was. He was an explosive maker, and he ended up, you know, creating a bomb in a flat in, in the Philippines, and it went wrong, and he like blew off his hand or something, and eventually got caught, and it turned out he was like a, an informant, and you know, all kinds of stuff. But anyways, the, that's part of bomb making. So in this case, you have um, the story, at least, is that there was an explosion, and the 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 the, the plan was actually to to have a, a like a bomb attack and to blow something up. And uh, just today I saw that, uh, you know, they've, they've said what they think the plan was. I can't remember what the place was, but they were planning to build, to, to bomb some, some uh, you know, significant location. And I guess, that, so at least, at least it, it makes for a plausible narrative that they were doing, you know, building these bombs and it exploded, you know, accidentally. And that, that forced them to go into plan B. Mm. At least it's a new, at the very least, it's a new, uh, a new element in the kind of, um, terror attack narrative because we haven't really seen that one in or this one in the last 16 years there's so, a piece of data that goes against that though apparently yeah. the emergency services police and fire certainly police i think were were drawn were at the property 
for some previous reason, and then it mm. exploded because the cop was killed and several were injured by the blast oh. after they arrived there. I didn't know about that. Well, I, I just wanted to get back to this whole idea for a moment that, uh, you know, the, uh, the kind of ramming and killing people uh, using a vehicle um, is a relatively new phenomena. I think we've we've seen um, we've seen it in Berlin and in London and Nice. Um, and although some of this can be attributed to unstable uh, individuals, um, if you just uh, take a step back, it's interesting to note that you know in the early 2000s, starting with 9/11, obviously. Uh, the the vehicle of of de jour of terrorism was the airplane. Uh, and then we had the the shoe bomber, the underwear bomber, um, and then it it progressed. It moved on to trains and buses, um, like in the London bombing and the Madrid bombing, and now it's moved to even more kind of uh, smaller, uh, more accessible, less difficult to um, to plan out. Uh, attacks of, of people just going berserk with their vehicles and and ramming and running over and, and killing people and, and knife and, attacks and knife attacks. So we're talking um, about planes, trains, and automobiles here. <laughs> that's what it comes down to. But then, if it's uh, going, if it's descending down that scale, what's next? Bicycle bombs. Bicycle bombs, uh, possibly uh, uh, skateboards. skateboards. Um, but you know, you, you you just hear. Uh, I think just this morning we read something um, in Australia. There's going to be uh, some kind of legislation or or um, or uh, guidelines for uh, traveling within uh, busy areas. Mm. Um, so it it just seems as though you know you had the TSA kind of ramped up in the U.S. Uh, and in and in other Western areas. Uh, other Western countries kind of clamping down and, and making transportation more difficult for individuals traveling internationally and nationally. Uh, you had the introduction of, of these same kinds of forces, um, kind of watching trains and Amtrak in the U.S. And now it's it's kind of boiled down to the more personal. You can't, you know, you you have to be paranoid about being in public places for fear of or celebrating or being right. in a tourist spot and enjoying yourself for fear of somebody or protesting uh, for fear of someone kind of going berserk and 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 um, and attacking you in that way. Hmm. So well, it's yeah. To clarify here, anyone who partakes in this is an unstable individual. Um, mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. only question is. Do some or a few or all of them get a little extra push? Well, the thing is, because all I, of this I, has... I, I, I started searching today for incidents of vehicles being used to ram people over randomly. And you'd be amazed. There's been a lot of it, like going back five years and certainly the last couple of years mm-hmm. um, all over the place. Like in Australia earlier this year, I think in January in Melbourne, there's... Lots of video footage of it. A guy just goes berserk and he starts doing um, driving circles at an intersection. So everyone clears the way and people stand back. And it seems to be under control. There's police arrived. There's a scene, you know, and they're like, oh, my God, what are we going to do about this guy? He's hanging out of the window while somehow stretching down with his foot on the accelerator. And he's doing circles, donuts. 
and he's shouting something. Um, he looks unhinged, right? They couldn't um, they couldn't stop him from escaping a kind of bottleneck, and still with people unawareness of what the dangers were, three people getting killed and run over. That was in Melbourne this year. And then I remember three years ago, a guy in Austria just snapped in a traffic jam, decided to drive on the sidewalk, run people over. Um, no relation to terrorism, Muslim, uh, is, uh, any Islamist motives or anything like that. The thing is, people are going nuts. As a as a baseline, people everywhere are going nuts. So you want to be paranoid in large crowded spaces mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. It's just that there's this extra layer of a push where, as you can imagine, cycles will go, oh, we can use this. This is great, you know. And, uh, good material. narratives out of the events or set them up yeah. uh, with assistance, you know, to, to make sure that they happen when it would be politically convenient to make it happen. Now, that's, that's where I would suggest that the terror attack in Barcelona at this time is interesting because there's a big political movement there right now with an upcoming referendum in October, I believe, where Catalonians will again attempt, I'm not sure if it's a actually horrible thing called independence. Yes, they're going to vote to separate from Madrid. The thing that apparently terrifies certain people in positions of power, any idea of independence from and, and that anything, really. Struck me as an interesting coincidence with London, mm. with, and I suppose Manchester as well, coming right up well, before the, election. the elections, a very important election, and that the involved, way it inf- just changed the whole events. narrative. That, that election that involves Scottish independence very very definitely as well. That's wrapped up in it too. But the thing is, I mean, it's hard to separate these things out, but I think you can, as a general rule, apply uh, a certain rule to these things, which is that whenever it's one guy who uh, runs, you know, gets in a car and, and drives over some people and it's caught or shot, whatever, and that's it. There's no other talk about any sales or or anything. ISIS may claim responsibility for it, but if there's no other ideas of a sale and a bigger plot and a, and this kind of mad kind of caper afterwards of chasing them around the country and conflicting stories and you know Keystone Cops kind of thing going on. Um, when when there's none of that, you can you can assume, let's say, in the absence of any definitive evidence, you can assume that it was just one guy going crazy because these days people seem to be going quite crazy but just in the past few days there have been in about four or five different places across the across the world there were knife attacks uh within 48 hours it's bizarre you know um so people do do be a bit crazy these days um but when you hear about something like barcelona where it's described as a cell and there's an anomalous bombing a few days beforehand. It was first blamed on gas. Then it was the jihadis who blew themselves up and it was part of a plot they fa- realized afterwards to blow up the Sagrada Familia, uh, got the Gaudi-designed um, cathedral in Barcelona. And and then the guy who drove the van, was it him? He was 17 years old. Did he have an accomplice? Don't know. We shot five guys uh, and the night after in a different town over here. And then we're looking at people in this time. Whenever you get all of that together, it's like some cell going on. That should be put in the context of something obviously much bigger. Uh, these guys obviously were not working alone. They had help. You don't a seventeen-year-old guy does not, you know, do what he is alleged to have done without the help of not just the people who also were involved, but um, in fact, on that one event, there was supposedly just him in the van, technically, or maybe one other person also with him. Don't know. If there was one other person, but then five other guys being shot the next night in a town an hour seventy miles away, um, 
that all suggests some coordinated operation that undoubtedly had help from other people. Of course, they're looking at imams and stuff to cover that angle. Some guy who may have groomed, not groomed these people, but have encouraged them, whatever, some imam guy in, in, in Spain, uh, who also apparently had a link to the the Madrid train bombing in 2004, which is interesting. But when you put you put that in that context, then it becomes also in the broader context of something we know for a fact, which is that intel agencies in Western countries have for the past long time, but certainly since the war on terror started, been dedicating massive resources to infiltrating so-called terror cells or finding a possible radicalized jihadis going into mosques, having running um, agents effectively, uh, i.e. members of the public that the intel agency, for example, in America, they've done this repeatedly over the past 10 or 15 years, where they have uh, identified some group of ne'er-do-well guys who might have said something on Facebook like, you know, uh, America must die or something. The FBI swoop in uh, with their agent, with their uh, informants, effectively, who are usually criminals who have done a deal with the FBI to act as an Al-Qaeda member to go and contact this group of people who wrote something bad on the Internet and to basically take them through the steps of becoming uh, terrorists, mm-hmm. Al-Qaeda, including swearing oaths to Al-Qaeda, giving them weapons, giving them fake bombs, and then arranging for them, basically grooming them to be terrorists when they all they did initially was say something stupid on the internet and then taking them right up to the point of uh, carrying out an attack at the la- where at the last point, at the last moment, this these idiots who clearly are idiots find out, oh, that isn't a bomb. It's just a box with some wires sticking out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these are probably, uh, these are obviously very stupid and impressionable young people. The FBI has been doing this over and over again. So has British intelligence, and we can better ask that. So, well, so has the French intelligence, we know for a fact. So has Spanish intelligence. Uh, and obviously other kind of multinational intel agency types who can be doing this. So the fact is this, these kind of events have to be placed in that context of that going on all the time, which immediately, for any uh, for any rational person, uh, brings up the reasonable question, and it is a reasonable question, of what, to what extent were state uh, security forces or intel agencies involved with these people. Mm-hmm. After a- almost every single one of them, we find out that the people, the person or people, were known to these intel agencies. So mm-hmm. the point is, in the Barcelona event, it was multifaceted, large number of people. That strongly suggests outside help. The question is, who gave the help? Mm-hmm. And then you understand that in the context of intel agencies giving help to these people, supposedly for entrapment, effectively, to take them out of the out of the game in case they became terrorists. But how far do they, they go with that? Because there's many cases where... Um, when intel agencies run these informants to put them inside a group, that they, in order for the informant to really get in with this terror group, the informant, the, the intel agency tells the informant to go ahead and give them these weapons uh, to prove your credentials or carry out some kind of attack with them to prove your credentials. 
So that, and, and they justify that and they have justified that. And this is fact that intelligences have justified doing that in order, as I said, to, or as I say, to get information on bigger attacks. Mm-hmm. So you're allowed to let small attacks actually happen with your informant involved or the person you've groomed to be, in, to be a, a jihadi uh, because by doing that, they prove their credentials to the group and they become a trusted member and then you get access to the, the really bad guy who's organizing it all. That's what they've done. And mm-hmm. it's on, they're on record as having done that. Now, in that context, that question has to be asked every time one of these terror attacks happens. Yeah. Oh, they're also on record going even further than that. The former assistant director of the FBI, Fuentes, um, he spelled it out simply when he said, you know, no agency is ever going to get its budget increased, never mind renewed the next year, if he goes, job done, war on terror over. Everybody's out of the it's job. In, it's in his interest. He needs to keep going. He, as he put it, we have to keep f- fear alive. Yeah, of course. For, yeah. for our own power. He didn't say, put it quite like that, but he did. He did say in that phrase, "Keep fear alive." Well, keep fear alive for our own jobs. Yeah, but simply for so I keep getting a paycheck, right? And I keep getting the, the big budget from the government to keep the country safe from terrorism. What if there's no terrorism? What if there are no cells, no terror cells for me to deal with? If I tell government that, if I tell Congress that, they're going to say, okay, good job. You sorted out the problem. You can retire now or you can find another job. Uh, those people are not going to do that, you know. And uh, it's like that old maxim of, um, and it could be, it's a paraphrasing it. It's, it's, it's very difficult to convince uh, intelligence people that there is no terror threat when their paycheck depends on there being a terror check. Terror. Terror threat. Terror check. Whatever. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. Well, just to bring this uh, around back to the U.S. for just a moment, uh, there was a story um, just this week of how a young schizophrenic man living in Oklahoma was being uh, kind of led to uh, domestic right-wing terrorism. He was part of a group called the Three Percenters. Um, and there was an FBI informant kind of whispering in his ear uh, for for uh, a good period of time. His, his parents noticed uh, that this was occurring. And, um, and they basically called out the FBI on actually uh, inducing this, this young man, uh, a Caucasian, uh, in Oklahoma into uh, domestic terrorism, uh, which is very reminiscent of all of the stories we've heard over the past 10 or, or so years of the FBI um, kind of inducing uh, these unstable uh, Islamic types in the U.S. Uh, and and giving them the means to and the plans for uh, bombing buildings and doing all sorts of things and then arresting them. And then people coming out and saying, you know, uh, the, these guys would never have uh, even thought of such a thing or, or maybe they wouldn't go past mildly entertaining the idea of committing terrorism unless you guys in the FBI have tried to facilitate this. So um, it, this this mechanism uh, for creating terror 
uh, be it jihadis by jihadis or or so-called right-wing extremists uh, in the U.S., is a intelligence agency creation. Um, and and the other thing that was so interesting about this particular case, I forget the young man's name, but uh, he he was going to part of the plan, as it was described, was for him to drive a truck with, I think it was ammonium nitrate or, or one of these chemicals, which is very reminiscent of uh, Timothy McVeigh and the 1995 attack on the on the um, the Oklahoma City uh, F, uh, the the Murray Building, which killed over 250 people, is one of the largest acts of domestic terrorism we've ever seen in the U.S. So, um, you know, if 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 they had been successful with this guy, we would have had another kind of reverberating uh, event that solidified in the minds of uh, Americans this idea of right wing extremist terrorism. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, and, uh, what, and what links what links mm-hmm. what we were saying about Barcelona there, and what you've just been saying about in general about intelligences being involved with these terror groups and having a, a financial reason or a, a power reason to to keep the whole thing going. Uh, uh, that Barcelona, in that sense, is linked to um, Charlottesville because there's evidence <coughs> that uh, there's there's circumstantial evidence anyway that uh, that there were some FBI uh, informants amongst uh, both sides at Charlottesville. Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can bet you can bet your backside basically that uh, amongst any group uh, like that in in the in the US, the FBI. Uh, has people all over it, basically inside it for and probably for quite a long time. Trusted members mm. of the KKK or trusted members of Antifa who are actually working for the FBI and informing for the FBI. Uh, that's the FBI's bread and butter. So uh, when these kind of things happen, like in Charlottesville, you really have to have to question. You know, oh, so your your informant didn't really. Uh, your informant didn't didn't do the job this time. He wasn't any good. He didn't give you good information about. Uh, about about that plan to for that guy that that crazy guy who was planning to um, maybe planning to to knock people down or you know you didn't know that this was going to turn bad you know even though you're all over it and have been all over it for so long yeah there's there's lots of reasons to be skeptical about it and in fact that's not just you know that doesn't mean you're a conspiracy theorist or you're not seeing reality uh, you know objectively or anything like that but um, it it's it's actually useful to take that approach whether or not you know that it's true or not. Why? Because being skeptical about this kind of race war, burgeoning race war within the US um, is, is a good position to take for whatever, whatever cause you have for being skeptical. That's one, one reason to be skeptical that the FBI might be involved in organizing it. Uh, because if you're, if you're skeptical about it, you're much less likely to be identified with one or the other and you know, feel like you should be supporting this group or that group. Uh, the best position to take is just when people go crazy like that, the best position to take is like I wrote in that article is just don't take that bait. It's clearly bait when you're being asked to identify with one extreme side or the other. You, the only rational response to that suggestion that you take that bait is like, no thanks. Why? Because it's a stupid idea mm-hmm. for everybody involved and for the country as a whole. Does that nobody care about American society? And the fact that if, if this kind of race war situation was pushed to its logical extreme, that everybody would suffer. But then maybe there's a bunch of people in America who actually want to bring the whole thing down. 
Mm-hmm. They're act, they're angry at life. They're angry at their parents. Who knows what they're angry at? But they're angry, and they're going to get out in the street and and break things and wreck things and call for the whole institution to be destroyed. And they don't care that it would uh, affect the lives of billions of people because you know their anger is more important than anything else in the world, including the world. Idiots. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's self-destructive. Yeah. yeah. I think we're gonna we're gonna leave it there for this week, folks. Um, and we've covered both our topics. Yeah, uh, we uh, we gotta go and um, uh, start our twenty four hour uh, vigil, praying to Jesus that He doesn't uh, allow the uh, eclipse to destroy the world before Antifa does. Um, so we gotta get on that, and <laughs> we hope you all survive the eclipse. We know it's a terrifying event. Uh, for many people uh, but just uh, put your faith in Trump I mean Jesus and uh, <laughs> and everything will be okay don't stare at it <laughs> don't stare at it too long that's the worst thing get your uh, eclipse glasses get your eclipse glasses yes should be mm-hmm. fun so um, <laughs> and be careful of large crowds be careful of large crowds of any yeah of anything yeah humans or animals avoid, or whatever avoid major intersections and and yeah. crowded streets. Yep. Yeah, okay. Well, whatever. Have a good <laughs> Enjoy the Take care, everyone. We'll be back next week. See you next week. Goodbye, Bye, everyone.